Hey, have you ever wanted to create your own podcast and share your own light bulb moments with the world? If so, now is the perfect time to do so because audio is the future of the internet and Anchor is a perfect place to do it. So Anchor is a podcasting platform you can find at anchor.fm and it's what we use to create the Lightbulb Moment podcast. So Anchor is amazing because first of all, it's completely free to use. Yep, completely free. And there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or your computer. So I've used Anchor to record with other guests on a mobile app, and you can also edit on your computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you across so many platforms. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and all the other major podcast streaming sites. So you don't have to set up individual accounts and try to distribute to all of those places. And you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum subscribers needed. And it's basically everything you need to record, edit, and publish your podcast in one place all for free. So I highly encourage you to download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Good luck. Hi there, welcome to Ida, where we address how you can ideate, decide, act on the business topics we talk about in each episode and apply them to your own startup. My name is Varika Pinnam. And I'm Ganika Pinnam. We're the founders of Ida, Ideate, Decide, Act. At Ida, we connect female founders to investors, one-on-one mentoring, and resources to help grow their business. In today's episode, we have Priya Amin, who's the founder of Flexible Care, which is a company that provides innovative solutions to help parents manage care while they're working. Hi, Priya. Welcome to our show. Hi. Thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. And it's so good to get to talk to you again. Uh, To those people listening, Priya was actually one of the first users of Ida, so we got to hear her pitch um, several months ago, and I know she's actually made a lot of progress since then and pivoted as well, so I'm really excited to hear you talk more about that. Yeah, absolutely. Again, thanks for having me here. I appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, one of the things that I was um, interested in learning, like even before when I met you, is like how you even started Flexible and what inspired it, especially because you've come so far, you know, you've raised money, gotten a ton of revenue, like what was the seed for this? (laughs) You know, it feels like any entrepreneur that um, comes into business is usually for a couple of reasons, because there's an opportunity in the marketplace or it's because they're struggling with a specific issue. And I fall into the latter category. I started this company out of sheer selfish necessity. I am a mom of two boys. um, And I have uh, been in the professional ecosystem for for years and years. I actually was a a brand manager with Nestle for years. Prior to that, I was at IBM. Um, And uh, throughout, you know, just growing my career, I you know, wanted to climb the corporate ladder and and see a really um, fruitful career throughout my my professional life. But once I had my first child, all of that changed. Um, And um, I ended up actually leaving my career to be a stay-at-home mother because I just wasn't able to find the balance that I needed for myself and for my family. And a few years um, after I became a stay-at-home mother and had my second child, I started a consulting company. And when I started that company, the biggest issue that I dealt with personally was um, I couldn't do anything if I didn't have childcare. I couldn't go to networking events. I couldn't go to client meetings. I'd have to essentially either wait for my husband to come home or I'd have to forego going. Like I'd have to skip it. 
And um, that just felt like a really big sacrifice to make, Mm -hmm. especially because um, I saw a lot of other women in the same scenario. So that kind of lit a fire under me um, to, you know, just kind of look into the issue more and understand more about the motherhood penalty and understand more about, you know, why is this an issue that is disproportionately affecting mothers and women? And so it kind of, again, lit a fire under me and I, I started Flexible in 2016 with a co-founder um, because we were just trying to figure out how to solve the issue of what do you do when childcare falls through? What do you do when your nanny calls off? What do you do when school is closed? What do you do when there's a global pandemic and <laughs> there is absolutely no childcare available? Um, and this has been the mission that we've been on since we first started this company. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And yeah, you mentioned the pandemic, which I've read a lot of reports that it disproportionately affects women, especially like mothers. Yeah. Um, because right. the kids are at home. And yeah, I'm really sorry to hear that you couldn't, you know, go to the events in early in your career. It's like really hard to like watch that part slip by, but you know, you have other obligations. Right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. And you know, it's been four years then. So I'm sure in four years, you must have gone through a lot of things. So I'd love to know more about the ups and downs of your journey. Yeah. Oh, gosh. I mean, entrepreneurship is just full of ups and downs, right? It's just a continuous roller coaster. And so, you know, when we first started, it was, you know, the the ultimate up, if you will, where we were accepted to an accelerator program with just an idea. That was it. We literally pitched an idea. They loved it. We got accepted. It was incredible. So we got seed money and we were able to just be off and running with our idea. Um, And fast forward, you know, four years, we were um, providing our service, which at the time was pop-up childcare, essentially, that um, we popped up at office office spaces, at events, at conferences to essentially support um, working parents if they wanted to, um, to to come to a networking event. And we had made hundreds of thousands of dollars in revenue. We um, partnered with over 150 organizations and we popped up in over 1,500 locations, which was amazing. Um, But then COVID happened um, and it was it was devastating for many reasons. Um, One, my my co-founder actually ended up leaving the company, which was really hard, although it was purely um, for, um, you know, for for positive reasons. She actually got a a really amazing position with with a nonprofit. But that left myself and uh, my team um, kind of in a lurch. But on top of it, um, you know, we had to let go of, of all of our staff. Um, we're in Pennsylvania, so that's where we're located. And just after COVID happened, the governor of Pennsylvania deemed childcare as non-essential. And so we had to close our doors. And what that meant was we had employed about um, 15 caregivers that uh, were W-2 employed and worked with us, um, not on a full-time basis, but worked with us on an hourly basis. And because we literally had no work, we had to let go of all of our staff and it was devastating. It was so hard to essentially go from a place of, you know, um, just just success, if you will, and, you know, doing really well and, and being strong mm-hmm. to um, barely having dollars in the bank and having to essentially, you know, bring our company down to zero. And it was really, really hard. But through it all, you know, we like I took a maybe about a week or so hiatus and kind of like went into a shell, if you will. And throughout all this, too, I have two um, I have two elementary school aged kids. I have a 10 Mm -hmm. and a six year old, both boys, and they were now 
being homeschooled. They were home from school. And so all this happened exactly at the same time. But I took a week and, you know, kind of just went internal and, you know, was licking my wounds and just trying to figure out, you know, what to do next. But what I noticed was there was an incredible need from the marketplace, especially from working parents who were just struggling. They were struggling with, oh my gosh, how the heck do I balance working? Plus, oh my gosh, my kids are home now. Plus I am working in at home with, you know, Zoom calls and whatnot. And we realized there was a huge opportunity, um, not only from a parent perspective, but more so from an employer perspective. We have always been a B2B company and employers were, were scrambling. They were like, how the heck are we going to get people to keep working at the same level that they were working at before? How can we support our employees to be productive and to stay and not leave the workforce? And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you mentioned at the beginning of this call that there's been, you know, so many women leaving the workforce. In fact, 800,000 women have left the workforce in the last six months, wow. which is devastating. Um, and so, it, it, you know, a new light bulb went off in my head where I thought, OK, well, there's obviously opportunity, um, but more importantly, there's a necessity for uh, for child care. So we, um, the, you know, the, the team members that were left at that point, which is only three team members, um, got together and, and talked about, you know, how do we take our value proposition and position it in a way that works in today's world? And that's mm-hmm. where virtual childcare came from. So now what we do is we provide virtual childcare. And what this allows us to do is to really double down on our value proposition of providing backup last minute childcare when childcare falls through. In a COVID world, what do you do when childcare falls through? You don't have a drop-in babysitter that can just come in. You don't have the YMCA to drop your child off at. You don't have schools, right? And so virtual childcare is a really great backup option to provide safe, on-demand childcare for working parents. We're struggling for, you know, for that 30-minute meeting that you know you have with your boss, or for an hour-long, um, you know, work session that you have with your co-worker. Sorry. Um, virtual childcare can help. And so in the last six months, we've stood up our products. We've tested this out in the market. And now we are partnering with organizations across the country, which is really exciting. We're revenue positive and we're seeing a ton of growth going into Q4 and into 2021, which is which is really exciting. That is super exciting. And I just got to say, this idea from the beginning was like simply beautiful, right? Like it made sense that, you know, you need pop-up childcare at events and stuff. But the fact that you were able to pivot and adapt to COVID and just make it into this virtual care that now you can, you're across the country, right? Before you were mainly based in Pennsylvania and stuff. That's now right. you're everywhere. That's right. right. So you use this as a blessing, like how you pivoted. I think that's really great to hear. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I mean, I I won't lie. It has been exhausting. It's been exhausting more so from a personal standpoint, really. Just the uncertainty of knowing, you know, for example, like what is school going to look like for my kids? Or, you know, what do I need to do to make sure that they're staying, um, you know, on top of their schoolwork, right? But a lot of it has also been inspirational for um, work. So for example, you know, we launched um, some some after school options uh, with mm-hmm. our virtual child care, too. So we added more times during the after school time between 3 and 9 p.m. to just continue to support working parents because work continues. And especially in a remote working world like we're in now, unfortunately, work doesn't stop at 5 p.m. Sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, people don't work during the day because they're homeschooling their kids, but then they're working in the evenings. So we thought about how do we best um, support working parents 
in all kinds of situations. And so I don't know if I would have, you know, known how to support working parents if I wasn't one myself. Mm -hmm. And so that's been, you know, helpful, albeit, you know, very, very exhausting. So I'm very much looking forward to not being in this situation personally, um, but can already see that employers are really, um, you know, just understanding that every employee is different and every need for um, every employee is different. And employers are starting to see their um, their teams as whole individuals. And people are finally kind of bringing their whole selves to work. Um, and that's the cornerstone of inclusion, right? Inclusion is including every piece of an individual into um, their work life, not just you know, one piece or one facet of their, their um, existence. And so that includes things like, you know, elder care, child care, you know, any sort of disabilities that need to be um, taken care of. There's, there's so many things that employers can, can understand and support their, their employees around. And we're excited to be a part of that conversation too, um, because inclusion is such a huge and important part of a thriving ecosystem at work. And especially with COVID, um, employers have a real opportunity to double down on including um, working parents and, and just um, employees in general in all facets of their lives. And so um, it's, mm -hmm. it's just it's very interesting to see all those different sides of it now with, with COVID. Yeah, absolutely. And the beauty of it is that employers get to retain their employees, especially women and stuff. You know, losing that much workforce means they're going to have to go back there, rehire and everything. But what this provides them is a way for, you know, the woman or the man to take care of their family and work at the same time. Right. And, you know, it costs roughly 25 percent of a full time um, person's salary to find and replace that person. Right. So, like, if there's somebody who makes a sixty thousand dollar salary, it costs around fifteen thousand dollars to replace them. One person. And so it's interesting where, you know, if an organization can spend just a fraction of that to retain a, a good portion of their population, that's where, you know, benefits like flexibles comes into play and can really help save um, employers money. You know, on a on a macro level, um, American companies lose almost $60 billion with a B in productivity per year because of childcare breakdowns, just because of childcare breakdowns. Wow. And that was prior to COVID. So that's the really interesting thing is that this has been an economic issue for so long, but now it's finally being regarded as an economic issue. For a very long time, childcare was regarded as a family issue or as an individual issue. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times it was regarded as a women's issue. And finally, it's being seen as a true economic issue because it's affecting companies' bottom lines. And so that's where we're helping to, um, yeah, just, just helping companies' bottom lines. Priya, I love that you're so knowledgeable about this market because I think you just shared a bunch of facts that most people wouldn't know. And we at IDA, we always tell like, you know, our users and the people in our community to be very factual and quantitative about the market size and things like that. So I love that you've been able to find these little known facts about how childcare, something that people doesn't think impacts the economy is actually impacting the economy. Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. And one of the things that stood out to me from your story, like I know it's definitely been a tough time is you said you took a week's long break, right? During to pivot. And 
you know, that's just goes to show the life of an entrepreneur. Like, even when you want to take a break, like you didn't go into, you know, like a three month like hiatus, you know, you had like a week to pull it together. So I'm really interested in figuring out like, how did you do this on demand care? Where what if someone requested care, but then you don't have your full time employees anymore because you had to let them go? How are you finding people to fill that spot on demand? Great question. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people that are unemployed right now, and especially in the education field or in the early childhood field. So again, after a lot of states closed down in March, you know, Pennsylvania, um, for example, a lot of early childhood centers were also deemed non-essential and were closed. And so um, there were a lot of folks in the early childhood and childcare space that were let go. And so um, we see that as an opportunity to employ people within the um, early childhood um, space and in the early education space as well. So we've been able to bring on um, virtual caregivers, virtual hosts, we call them. And right now we have nine that we um, have as, as uh, 1099 contractors that can provide care virtually whenever it's, it's necessary, whenever it's needed. So it essentially mm-hmm. is kind of like an Uber model, like a gig model, um, mm-hmm. and it allows for people that love children and are in the early childhood or early childhood, sorry, or early education space to continue to stay in that space while staying flexible and nimble so that if a full-time opportunity presents itself, they could go back to work. And so I've always, you know, personally held that close to my heart where I want to provide opportunities for women and for people in the early childhood space that, you know, may not be getting their fair share from um, a a salary standpoint. And Mm -hmm. there's the opportunity to elevate the, um, the notion of caregiving and, and, and what caregiving is and um, yeah, just to provide more opportunities in that space. And so we're, we're starting to, to do that as well. Like I mentioned, we have nine um, hosts, caregivers, if you will, that we, we um, work with right now and we're continuing to hire more. So we're excited to continue to partner um, with more and more folks that can help bring our vision to life and um, continue to serve uh families that need us. That's beautiful. I love that you're providing jobs and then you're helping these women and companies all at the same time. Yeah, thank you. No, and then, you know, I love how you positioned yourself too before you were saying that flexible could really be like a benefit that companies give to their employees, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. So, and as a B2B company, how did you approach these, uh, you know, employers, these companies and secure pilots and eventually contracts? Yeah. So we've been fortunate in that a lot of our, um, our uh, requests have been inbound and have been coming in either from, you know, press or from word of mouth, you know, because we had existed for three years prior to COVID Uh, We, of course, you know, approached a lot of our existing customers and said, hey, listen, we aren't able to provide physical childcare because it's just not a safe option now. But instead, we have virtual childcare as an option. What do you think? And we were able to prove our concept out by doing that and, you know, aligning with organizations who were doing virtual events, for example, and saying, hey, listen, you know, you provide our service for free. See how many people use it. And we were able to start gaining some penetration in the market that way. Um, One of the other things we've been starting to use though, which has been really helpful is um, having strategic partnerships with folks Mm -hmm. in, you know, the benefit space and, and, you know, focusing in on, on people that are also trying to support um, employees and employers. 
And so that's been a really important part of our distribution strategy as well mm-hmm. is, you know, finding the, the right folks that can um, sell us in and advocate for us on behalf of, um, on behalf of us and yeah. go into these companies. And it's, it's been, it's been really, really great. Again, companies are very receptive to new and innovative ways to support their employees because everybody's struggling right now. Employers are really struggling because the attrition rate's really high and like I mentioned, nearly a million women have left the workforce just in the last six months. And so, you know, just the economic impact there is huge. And so employers are just scrambling and thinking of, you know, how can we continue to keep people in the workforce? There's lots and lots of different um, benefits that they're looking at, childcare being one of them, um, that, yeah, just will hopefully help keep more people in the workforce as this, as this continues. So we've been, we've been fortunate from that standpoint, too. That's awesome. And, you know, you mentioned like using the, the providers for the benefits to help you sell into the company, but then how do you sell into the providers themselves? Cause B2B has like a very long sales cycle. Right. And, you know, even providing like the free experience for the virtual events, like how do you have any tips for other founders that are B2B about like, you know, we get this question, like, how do you approach the decision maker? How do you approach like the CTO or in your, in your case, the HR manager and like yeah. do that? That's right. A lot of it is trial and error, you know, like so much of it is let's try this idea. So like, you know, for example, one of the things that we played around with is our pricing model, right? Like how should we price this so that it makes sense for both the employer and the employee, right? And so we played around with, you know, do we ask the employer to fully subsidize this? Do we ask the employer to partially subsidize this? Do we ask the employer to just, you know, say, you don't have to pay for this at all and the employee can pay for it? We've been playing around with a lot of different ideas, but, you know, you hit the nail on the head, which is um, the B2B sales cycle is long. And we've been doing this now as a company for four years, but since our pivot into virtual, which has definitely allowed for a lot more scalability and for an easier, faster sales cycle, because it's easier to deliver on the service versus physical pop-up childcare. Um, and so the sales cycle has, has proven itself to be around two months, which is amazingly short for um, B2B. That being said, um, that's just like this sort of like latest crop of companies that have come in. We had lots and lots of inbound requests come in earlier this summer, and I don't think a single one converted. And so it's really interesting because we're also just learning about what is it that our customers want? Um, why do they want it? When do they want it? How do they want it? And so we're just, one of the things that's the most important is customer discovery and research. And I've, you know, just personally always had a passion for that space, being a marketer myself, um, in that you have to always keep an ear to the market and you have to always be doing research or reading and just understanding, you know, either joining, um, you know, like a PHRA group or um, an an SHRM or or something like that, um, that allows you to understand, you know, how is your your target customer thinking and buying right now? Um, A hint and and kind of a, um, a tip that I would give to your listeners is create buyer's personas, create personas around who it is that's buying your product or service. And think about it from the perspective of like that persona as its own human being, right? Like how old are they? Um, what do they look like? Um, what does their family look like? What do um, what do they like to do? What keeps them up at night? 
um, what do they want to accomplish both personally and professionally? And my team and I, we went through this exercise actually, ironically, just a few weeks ago. And we created buyers personas for the different types of buyers that we've seen over the last several months. And even putting that into execution. So we've, you know, created targeted social media ads around these personas. We've optimized our um, website language around these personas. We've, you know, started creating other marketing materials around these personas. We've already seen um, positivity and increases in web traffic and in conversion because we're really trying to understand and optimize who that person is and we're continuing to talk directly to them. So that helps to shorten the sales cycle too, because as you get to know your customer better and better, you don't have to be talking to everybody else and that just becomes noise. You can just talk to those, that one persona that you know, and that persona will start talking back to you and then you'll, you'll get closer and closer to sales. That's awesome. I love that you said that because we talk about customer discovery a lot. And in fact, um, Ida is sponsoring a women's hackathon this weekend, and we have the ability to do a workshop there. And the focus of our workshop is also customer discovery because nice. we just think that's so important. Nice. That's awesome. Good for you. That's great. Yeah. So it's totally agree there. And I love that you created buyer personas for everything. And it's kind of amazing that you immediately like we're starting to see a change with them talking back to you. Um, like even if the first, you know, leads that you had didn't convert, like now because you're talking to the right person, like when you talk to the right person, you know, you're you're gonna have some so much better conversion rates than, you know, a lot of people say like when we ask like who's your target market, everybody. Well, if you talk mm -hmm. to everybody, you're speaking to nobody. Correct. You can't be all things to all people. That's exactly right. And it's really hard. I mean, you know, when like I, I I've been sort of like you know, trying to to be true to this myself, because I, I try to tell other people this as well, because it's a very important tip, which is you are not your market. And especially for somebody like me who started her company out of, you know, selfish necessity, it's very easy to fall into that trap of thinking that your needs are your customer's needs. And while that may be true a little bit, it's not necessarily always true. So customer discovery is such an important part of creating a successful service and a successful business model because it allows you to just continue to listen and optimize and tweak. Um, and if you don't do that, um, you're just talking to yourself and you may not be the, the, the right archetype. Like that's not the, the person who's actually buying your, your, uh, your services. No, for sure. And I love that you talked about customer discovery being so important in archetypes because at IDA, like the courses that we actually teach now to people, that's one of the things that we really emphasize on. Mm -hmm. And even on our website, that's something that, you know, we provide to everybody too, uh, so they can get a customer discovery PDF if they don't know how to do it. Another great point that you brought up is that like you are not your company and understanding your customer is so important. And how do you think that your customer, obviously with COVID, they all moved online, but, you know, initially was there an educational like curve because, you know, now it's like virtual care rather than in-person, like how did your customers take it? And uh, how did, you know, you learn more and more about that? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, again, like whenever there's something new, like something like virtual childcare, there's always going to be an adoption curve. And, you know, the virtual care space, you know, 
basically didn't exist before COVID. Now there's, you know, competitors in this space and, you know, it definitely is a, a growing space. In fact, from a venture standpoint, there's been a lot more focus in the virtual care space, both for child care and elder care and all kinds of other care um, profiles in between. Um, but yeah, with anything new, there's always an adoption curve. And so a big piece of that is, you know, giving stuff away for free, right? Like finding folks that are willing to kind of go out on a limb for you or, you know, taking advantage of the, um, uh, of the, um, uh, of the folks that you know, or that of like of your network and asking them to go out on a limb for you. And that's exactly what we did. Um, like I mentioned, we're in Pittsburgh and, um, you know, our, uh, in-person pop-up childcare services were all basically provided here in Pittsburgh. So we were able to get really strong penetration in this market. We had a lot of brand equity in this market. We were getting to the point prior to COVID of just starting to figure out how to create a replicable model to scale outside of Pittsburgh. And, you know, of course, COVID happened. So when we pivoted, the first thing we did was we leaned heavily on our Pittsburgh network. And, you know, we uh, partnered with folks that had invested in our company and, you know, previous uh, customers and clients to, to recognize, uh, sorry, to recommend us to, um, you know, to whoever else that uh, they thought might be willing and able to try us. Um, and, you know, within just a few short weeks, which was unbelievable, I think it was like, the middle of May was when we launched. And by the end of May, which I just was absolutely like, still I'm, I'm blown away by, we were picked up by CNBC for a national article. Um, we got an inbound request from one of the largest employers on the planet, which I thought was insane. Um, and we were starting to, um, going into June, we got nearly five inbound requests per day unsolicited, which was unbelievable to us. Now, again, this was just like, oh my God, what is happening? But it was because we, we leveraged our network, you know, and, and I say we it was, was primarily myself and like two other people. Uh, but, you know, we, we, were, we were small and scrappy and we just went out and did as much as we possibly could to leverage the goodwill that we had here at home in order to turn that into something bigger and beyond ourselves, which was incredible. And now we're in a place where we have, um, you know, multiple uh, strategic and business partners across the country. And we're continuing to grow because childcare, again, is always going to be an issue. Childcare falling through is a given. Childcare is an economic issue and it's finally being regarded that way for the first time in over 60 years since World War II. And there's finally, um, you know, legislative um, support behind this. There's, you know, public sector uh, support behind this. And, you know, we want to continue to be part of that conversation. And that, that's what we're, we're going to continue doing. That's awesome. And I think that's so exciting that you got picked up by CNBC. And, mm -hmm. of course, we're not going to ask who the employer was, but congratulations. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I mean, in all honesty, though, I mean, that employer we're still working with because, you know, big companies are, you know, they move at a glacial pace. But, yes. you know, it's just really it, it, it it's very validating to get requests like this from, you know, companies that you never, ever thought you would have the, the privilege of working with. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's really, really amazing to to see that happen in such a short amount of time, which is awesome. I'm so happy for you. I love hearing this success story. Yeah. I think it's awesome to see like 
other women entrepreneurs succeed even during this time and how what you started as like something that was just you know you keep saying selfish but like honestly one of the best ways to start a company is like solving something that's close to you because then you have like the fire and drive to do it you know that's right that's exactly right really understand the problem that's the reason you're able to pivot so beautifully if I might just say because you know the problem like firsthand well, thank you. I really appreciate it. I mean, that's that's so kind of you. I mean, I think it's it's funny. Somebody told me um, a few weeks ago that you know what what we're doing is sort of quote unquote meta, which I like laughed at because apparently we're we're solving an issue we're living. And you know, again, it's it's it, to your point. I think it does lend credibility to myself as a as a founder and as an entrepreneur. But it, it really does help bring insight to the real problem at hand and allows us to to see this in such an intimate way that um, we can really understand, like, you know, from even a messaging standpoint, like Mm -hmm. what does it feel like to feel that unbelievable guilt of I'm just failing at everything that I'm doing as a, as a working mother. I mean, I feel this almost on a daily basis that I can't be there for my kids all the time. I can't be my best at work. I can't do all of these things. It's hard, but taking that, and seeing it from a third-party perspective and turning that into meaningful messaging, meaningful marketing, um, you know, going to employers, bringing that story and that storytelling in a way that they can relate to as well. Because a lot of the folks that are in HR are also parents and they get it. And a lot of them mm-hmm. are also parents of like <laughs> elementary school age kids that are like, oh, my God, this is so hard. And so there's a lot of camaraderie in what we're doing too. And again, we're, we're proud of ourselves for, for just sticking to it. Cause it, it could be exhausting. And there's been times, honestly, where I've been like, I don't know how much longer I can do this, but I get up every day and I just keep going. Cause it's, it's, it's a problem that needs to be solved. That's commendable. And yeah, exactly. Sticking to it. Cause I think, um, I'm not sure if you faced it, but I think at probably most people's startup journey, there's a point where you're like, wouldn't it just be easier to quit, you know? Yeah. Cause oh when God. things like that come up. Yeah. It's hard. And especially again, because, you know, like every day we wake up and hear something new about, you know, what's going on with school. Like I, I live in a school district where, you know, honestly, this coming Tuesday, um, the school is opening back up and my kids are going back to hybrid. And for the first three weeks, they were virtual. And so like our school schedule is completely changing again. And so even that from a, like just a stress and anxiety standpoint, it's a lot. And I write about that. So I blog about that. I think about like where I am personally and I put it out there from a professional standpoint. And so there's a blog out on my LinkedIn page right now about, you know, it's called, how are you doing? I'm doing not okay. And it's about just how I feel about all of this. And it really resonated with a lot of working moms because you're expected to do so much. And even before COVID, you're expected to do a lot. And now everybody's under the same roof and, you're working all odd hours. I mean, sometimes I wake up at four o'clock in the morning and I work for four hours until my kids get up. And then I, you know, get all their stuff ready for school. And then I work until 3 p.m. And then I'm hope like, you know, just with them, but we're all together under the same roof. Like <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard. It's hard. But again, it's, it's worth it because this is yeah. solving a real problem. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it was really, really great hearing your story, Priya. And I think if I had some takeaways, it would be, you know, to not give up and just take time to pivot because I think there's always opportunity to find opportunity and not give up. 
and also, you know, do your customer discovery, <laughs> do your research <laughs> and deeply understand your customer. Would you have anything else to add to that? Like if you had some takeaways for people, you know? Yeah, you know, I mean, I think like it's it's hard. I know this is such a weird and hard time for all of us, but I think you said it the best, which is, you know, don't give up. Don't don't think of this as a, hey, you know what? This sucks. I'm just going to throw in the towel because it, it is definitely um, uh, it, it's it, I don't want to call it easy, but it's definitely the thing that feels like the thing to do. But right now is a time to dig deep and to think about what you actually can accomplish, even though it may not be the best, but you can still do it and try to see through that and try to see through the end that, you know, there is a light at the end of the tunnel. You know, I can already start to see it a little bit, but I, I know this is going to be hard. We're getting through it together, but keep going because mm-hmm. yeah, the, the, it, it's, it's going to get better. No, you are actually the perfect example of ideate, decide, and act, right? Initially, you did it the first time, and then when it came back to you again, you were able to sit down and really do it all over again and do it so wonderfully. Oh, thank you. you you're so sweet. I appreciate <laughs> it. Very kind yeah, of you. For sure. And you know, it was our pleasure having you the first time around in our cohort and you being part of it. And it is our pleasure hosting you today. Oh, likewise. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate what you do. I appreciate Ida and I appreciate how you're helping other women entrepreneurs keep keep doing what you're doing. And this is so wonderful. And good luck with your hackathon this weekend too. That sounds awesome. Thanks so much, Priya. Absolutely. Such a joy having you and I wish you so much luck with Flexible. I think it's going to go super far and, you know, this has been such a blessing, like Anika said, for your company and always happy to see someone succeed. So hello listeners, you know, just take Priya's story as inspiration. If you're struggling right now, it might not always be that way and you can do it. So if you guys enjoyed today's episode, be sure to subscribe and share with another female founder. Thanks for listening to Ida and you can find us at thinkida.com. Until next time, ID, decide, act.